0: Hello and welcome to Abemus Papam, episode 256, Benedict the Fifteenth. Dear brothers and sisters, annuncio vobis, annuncio vobis, annuncio vobis, gaudium magnum, gaudium magnum, gaudium magnum, abemus papam. Last week's episode ended on a cliffhanger. The First World War had just broken out as St. Pius X was dying. One of his last acts was a desire to pray for peace, but now cardinals from across the world and across Europe, from countries who were at war with each other, had to come to Rome to elect a new pope. That pope was born Giacomo della Chiesa. He was from Italian nobility on both sides of his family, and his mother's side claimed at least one pope already in their lineage, Pope Innocent VIII. He was born in Genoa on November 21st, 1854. He contemplated a priestly vocation fairly early on, but his father was adamantly opposed to it and required that he instead study law, which he dutifully did until he got his degree. But then, now of age and able to make his own decisions, he left the legal profession and entered the seminary. He was inspired in part by his great-uncle, who was a pretty holy Capuchin priest. He studied theology in Rome at the Gregorian University and was ordained a priest in November of 1875. After his ordination, he attracted the attention of Cardinal Mariano Rampolla della Tindaro, a high papal official, who recruited him to be his personal secretary. He was not yet a cardinal, just a nuncio, but shortly thereafter, he was named the Cardinal Secretary of State by Pope Leo XIII, and he became one of the major diplomatic players in Pope Leo's pontificate, and Father della Chiesa got a first-hand view of it all. He was eventually named Sostituto of the Secretary of State, which was a position kind of like Chief of Staff. During his time in the Secretary of State, Della Chiesa didn't function as just a diplomat. He was known for his piety, maturity, and for in particular dedicating himself to praying before the Blessed Sacrament late at night. He was known to be particularly kind to those who worked for him, and those who knew him closely cared a lot for him. When Pope Leo XIII died, Cardinal Rampolla was one of the contenders for the papacy, but as we heard last episode, his candidacy was vetoed at the last minute by the Emperor of Austria. And attention was turned instead to one of his rivals, Cardinal Giuseppe Xarto. When Sarto was elected Pope Pius X, he appointed a new Secretary of State, Cardinal Mary de Val, and Father Della Chiesa stayed on in his position, but it was not the best, since everyone knew he was Rampolla's man. And so Pope Pius X appointed him the Archbishop of Bologna and ordained him a bishop himself on December 18, 1907. The Pope was particularly attentive to the new bishop and his family and gave him his own ring and crozier. The new archbishop, meanwhile, poured himself into his task. He was pastoral and devoted to his new flock, Visiting even the hard to reach parishes that could only be reached by horses. Usually, the Archbishop of Bologna was named a cardinal pretty quickly, but Pope Pius X did not do so for almost seven years. It was, it was kind of noticeable. It was only after Cardinal Rampolla, Archbishop della Chiesa's patron, died that finally, in 1913, della Chiesa was named a cardinal. And almost a year after that, the world went to war and the Pope died. The conclave that met in August of 1914 had cardinals from both sides of the war. And they turned to Cardinal de la Chiesa in part because he was decidedly neutral. He had said to his priests in Bologna that when war broke out, that he didn't want the clergy to take sides in the conflict. He faced some strong opposition from Pope Pius's Secretary of State, Cardinal Mary Duvall. In fact, when Cardinal de la Chiesa's name was announced as having gotten the necessary votes, Cardinal Mary Duvall demanded a recount. When it was again apparent that Cardinal de la Chiesa had won, Mary Duvall relented. He went up and offered his homage to the new Pope, and the new Pope quoted him in the scripture, The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, to which Cardinal Mary Duvall replied, By the Lord has this been done, and it is marvelous in our eyes. When he was elected in September of 1914, the Pope took the name Benedict XV, because the last Archbishop of Bologna to be named Pope was Pope Benedict XIV. The most pressing issue, of course, was the war, and the new Pope made it incredibly clear that he wasn't merely not going to take a side. He was going to attempt to try and work for peace between the warring parties. His first encyclical was an attempt to end the war. His Secretary of State worked tirelessly to try and get countries to come to the bargaining table, and he set up means to care for wounded and prisoners, and he authored peace proposals, which he sent to each of the nations in the war, which were rejected out of hand. The intense diplomatic war, which the war required, necessitated good representatives, and Pope Benedict knew how to pick them. His nuncio to Germany during this time was one Archbishop Eugenio Pacelli, who would later become Pope Pius XII. Likewise, his nuncio to the newly reformed state of Poland at the end of the war, Monsignor Achilles Ratti, would later become Pope Pius XI. And while this work didn't succeed in ending the war, it did build new diplomatic relationships where before there were none. Even in Italy, where the previous popes had refused to accept the destruction of the papal states, the Pope stayed, started cautiously to build relationships with King Victor Emmanuel III. And while it, would, it wouldn't bear fruit in his papacy, it will do so down the line. The papacy still had difficult relationships with France. And again, while it wasn't resolved, the beginnings were there. Pope Benedict, in fact, canonized St. Joan of Arc in part to strengthen ties with a very secular and hostile France. Now, this diplomatic talk might seem unimportant or just political things that had to happen, but really it's the foundations of the modern papacy. Pope Benedict XV combined a zeal to work and act in the modern world, not merely to shut off from it, while still maintaining the faith passed down for millennia. He was not a modernist. He was deeply rooted in scripture and tradition and the teachings of Jesus, his actions showed a desire to bring that to the world in whatever way he could. You can see that in missionary zeal after the First World War came to an end in 1918. Pope Benedict was particularly zealous for the mission territories in the church, and in particular for reunion with the Eastern churches. He established a congregation for Eastern churches and an institute for studying Eastern studies in Rome. Pope Benedict was also a pope when the massive project of codifying canon law that we heard about last time, started under his predecessor and undertaken all this time by Cardinal Gaspari, came to a conclusion. In 1917, the pope promulgated what is now known to history as the 1917 or the Pio Benedictine Code of Canon Law, which will remain in force until Pope John Paul II revised it in 1983. In January of 1922, while waiting in the rain for a car, the pope caught a cold, which later became serious. He died on the morning of January 22nd, 1922. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica and succeeded by Pope Pius XI. And we will talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to Abemus Popem. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.